you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. You know, I don't need to tell you about the coronavirus and the impact it's had on the restaurant business, but there are bright lights, of course. And if you haven't already taken advantage of the Paycheck Protection Program, or if you have, or the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, know that it's not too late. There are still funds available. But in this big episode, I'm speaking with an expert, Mr. Matthew Patrick, who is the uh, principal of a CPA firm called Patrick and Associates. And they've been specializing since uh, the PPP program has been released and in the idle. And we're going to cover today all the ins and outs of the program, all the initial you know, challenges of the program, all the changes that have happened since, and how you can sort of navigate the muddy waters of what has happened, what is currently happening, what you can expect for the future. But most importantly, what we're all concerned about is the forgiveness issue. They've changed rules on that as well. You know, it originally started with 75% of this must be spent on payroll with the remaining funds spent on rent or mortgage interest and utilities. And now those, uh, you know, percentages have changed. They've extended the program by 16 weeks to a total of 24 weeks. It's been all over the place. But again, the forgiveness piece is most important. Reduction of hours, if that's happened to you, reduction of staff. You, You probably know that you need to have the same amount of employees or full-time equivalent employees at the end of your PPP period as you did when you know you first applied for the money. So much to navigate, but what's great is uh, Matthew has been digging through this since the very beginning. He's an absolute expert on it. He's actually helping me to make sure I get the most forgiven as possible as well, so I'm very thankful for that. But I think it's going to be a wealth of information. Um, if you've gotten the PPP funds or the idle funds, you know the interest rates are low, and how, how can we take advantage of these programs, make the most of them, again, navigate the challenges and the changes So that's what this episode is all about. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us and uh, listen on. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And these are engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and navigate federal government loan programs, which during the age of COVID-19 is on everyone's mind. So with me today is Mr. Matthew Patrick from Patrick Accounting, a CPA firm, as well as Works, which uh, is a payroll firm that also helps with human relations issues and other specialties. And Matthew is helping people navigate through the ins and outs of the PPP, but we're also going to talk about other loan programs that are available. Welcome to the show today, Matthew, and thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me, Roger. I'm really uh, glad to be part of this. Well, you know, these are unprecedented and unprecedented times. I don't need to tell any of the audience that, of course, we're all navigating in what they call a new normal. And a lot of restaurants have closed and are waiting to reopen based on government you know, restrictions. A lot of restaurants have pivoted. A lot of restaurants are doing outdoor dining only. But yet our, you know, our sales are limited because of the restrictions and, you know, the 10 foot table apart and quarantines of out of state people coming to states. I mean, we're dealing with so many different things, but there is a lifeline or there have been several lifelines thrown out by the federal government to help navigate these. So that is the topic of, of this discussion. So why don't we start with what these different programs were and if there are any monies available for those restaurants or hospitality operations that have not 
uh, applied for any of these things, who might just be opening now that need these funds. Uh, let's talk about that. Like, what are the programs and okay. where can you still get money? Well, uh, if you think back to where this all started, you know, in late March, uh, the first option that people had was the EIDL loan, we called it EDL loan. Um, and that was basically an emergency loan uh, directly done through the SBA. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> that website crashed after a couple of days. Uh, but a lot of people were able to at least get the process started at that point, uh, not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, Congress passes the uh, Payroll Protection Loan Act uh, process in late March. It went effective for the first wave of people April the 3rd. And that was where you could, in theory, borrow for 10 weeks of payroll, essentially. Uh, it was that the idea that they were going to let you give you a lifeline to keep your people uh, employed and pay people, even if they were not working. They were turning all the small businesses in America into the unemployment offices. Right. Uh, during that same act, they passed a couple other pieces to that, which was the, there was, they made a little revamp changes to the idle process and they had the idle grant, which was, a you know, up to a, what was supposed to be up to a $10,000 grant that everybody would get, uh, as that was a forgivable grant, not going to have to be paid back, no real repercussions on how to spend the money. And then the PPP loan obviously was, um, money that would have to be spent certain ways. And if it was sent, spent certain ways, it'd be forgiven. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second wave of that passed, um, I believe, right around the end of April. After uh, uh, the they they put another put some more money into the coffers, and at the last glance, we're still about sixty or sixty five percent of that uh, of that second wave still available to everybody. So it's a pretty good chunk of money still out there. That's really good news because uh, we're going to talk about some of the initial flaws or challenges with the program mm -hmm. and they've suddenly made some changes. But if you have not gotten in early, you're going to be in the best benefit to take advantage of this. Uh, I know with my yeah, there was a lot of fear uh, situation. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Sorry to cut you off. There was a no. lot of fear early on. You know, there was only so much money in the coffers. Everybody was like running to the running to the bank. It was a mad rush to, you know, the few doors that were opened up for lifelines. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of panic stri uh, stricken small businesses, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing how long they're going to be before they were actually able to open back up. Um, second wave of PPP funds helped a lot. It was a huge relief. You know, all of our clients were fortunate enough to get funded. Uh, we were able to get almost everybody done the first wave. We had 15 clients that weren't able to get done second wave, but uh, not done until the second wave. But it still created a hey, okay, I know that there's somebody I can go get it now. So it took a lot of the panic off everybody, which was a big deal. But there's still a lot of money left if you haven't gotten it or if you're just now kind of depending on where you are located around the country, you know, whatever you're able to do. All right. So, Matthew, what's your best advice if, uh, you know, I've got a listener or any of the listeners out there that are hearing uh, that there's still that much money available? Would you... Uh, approach your local lender or a bank that you or a credit union that you have a relationship with. I mean, what, if you have a relationship with a, a local bank at this point, I'd, I'd highly recommend you talk to your banker um, and or your accountant uh, about getting that process started. Um, the local bankers at this point are pretty well versed in the process. Most of the community banks that we have found had a pretty good lifeline to uh, how the process is supposed to work. Um, we worked with four local banks uh, throughout this process here in Memphis, but uh, around the country, we've helped other firms, uh, other businesses 
that were not local to us, and we were able to kind of help coordinate and navigate those waters for them. So start with your local banker banking relationship. If you don't have one, you know, look for, you know, ask your friend who owns a small business, who do they bank with at the local banker? You know, keep keep finding that find that initial network. One of the initial challenges uh, with the PPP is the fact that, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that it was turning small businesses into unemployment offices, which I totally see your point, but it was also somewhat in conflict with the unemployment system in each state, plus a federal sort of a $600 bonus that that, uh, unemployed people were making. So certain businesses were having a challenge hiring their staff back because these people were making more money on Correct. unemployment sitting at home than you could actually pay them like upwards of a thousand dollars a week without actually working. <laughs> sure. And and the whole point of the program and, and the importance to the small business was to keep your staff because when this whole COVID thing was over, the last thing you wanted to do was try to replace your staff. So that was a big challenge. And I know in order to navigate that, you know, you could hire your, your staff back at less hours than they were working earlier in order to get them under that base unemployment threshold so they could still collect unemployment, but you would still pay them. So that was a partial solution. But, you know, not to get too complicated with this, but the whole PPP process was designed around, you know, a certain number of employees when you had to close your restaurant for COVID and you need to maintain at the end of that period, the same number of full-time equivalent employees. And, you know, that's a challenge that uh, certain businesses had to navigate. Yeah, they they definitely, yeah, they definitely, definitely added some uh, interesting wrinkles to the process. I mean, I kind of, I understand the logic of why the law was passed. If you think about what's happening, we're having massive record unemployment numbers happening week after week. So it was a way to, Hey, look, we can give people money to get everybody back to work. We only have, you know, 50 states have their unemployment offices and, you know, there's 30 million small businesses. So they basically became agents of the state pretty quickly. Um, I often say we all kind of turn into socialists overnight. I really looking for money. So it was a good way to uh, dis- uh, disperse the money as fast as possible. But there was a lot of, it was done so fast. If you think about how many loans were done yeah. over the, you know, they've done, I think it's, uh, I want to say around 10 to 12 million loans have been done at this point. That's amazing. And over a two month period of time when they're used to, you know, they may be producing 20,000 loans a year. So, these, wow. you know, they, this is a uh, uh, amazing uh, amount of disbursement. However, a lot of que- more questions and answers came with it as well. Uh, and they, they had, you know, politics got into it a little bit with the big businesses getting the money that shouldn't have, which created some additional caveats. And then you have the, you know, we want to get people back to work. So we need to put full-time equivalent people on the test, but we also have, make sure they get the amount of money they need so they don't unemployment. And then we also, you know, who is going to be those people that are back to work when we're still closed and, you know, stay at home orders are still in effect well after we've now got the money. So there's a lot of, a lot of issues kept popping up or have still popped up for every small business to try to navigate. It's been a, it's been a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, the second challenge was if you got in in the first round, uh, the original rule said that you had eight weeks in which to spend that money. Eight and weeks. You literally, you know, had to spend the money or start spending the money as soon as the money hit your account. And you had mm-hmm. eight weeks to do that. And maybe that was premature for businesses where they paid people for week after week after week to sit home. And then there was literally right. nothing left when they restarted their business. And now you're in the same boat where... I, you know, my business is down 70 or 80%. And now I got high payroll costs again. The PPP money is gone and all that. So again, I guess it's a good thing if there's still money available. And if you haven't been 
early to the plate and you're applying now, you're going to be in the best position to uh, use the money to oh. best benefit. You got 20, what, 24 weeks now to use that money. 24 as weeks now after the latest act. Um, yeah. 24 weeks to spend what you were basically borrowed 10 weeks of labor for. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of states around the country that are still stay at home orders in early phases. So, I mean, if without that lifeline, people would have had to spend money to, for people not to work. And then when they need to get people back employed, they will not have any cash to do so. So it was definitely a much needed lifeline, along with a lot of clarification that came with this new, the new act came with a clarification on, you know, what happens if you offer a job back to someone who turns you down because they are making more money on unemployment. They put some, some guardrails on that finally, more guardrails. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, that was my, one of my initial concerns because technically if you offered someone um, their job back and they refused, mostly because they were making more money, but they could make a case for, I don't want to come back because I'm afraid of getting, you know, coronavirus. And, you know, you Correct. needed to make a written offer and then they needed to refuse. And then I guess the state would investigate whether their claim of, you know, being afraid was true or not. But literally, you're ratting out your employees and creating somewhat of a morale problem. Who you really is, want back. You know? Right. You want back, right? You want them back after everything's said and done. So now I've, you know, Susie, my bar, great bartender who, you know, has kids at home, probably, you know, they may have kids at home that aren't in childcare. And then you've got all this stuff going on. But you need them back at work so that you can spend the money that you're supposed to have spent. Yeah. The whole thing was just a, a big circular equation that never could get solved, really. Well, there is, I guess the good news is a lot of those things have been ironed out, and it is better now than, than it was before. Let's talk about the rules, yeah. because I know, I know forgiveness is sort of a top-of-mind discussion on, on everyone's mind, either if you've applied for the money already or you're going to. A certain amount of this money, provided you follow the rules, would be a, a grant and not a loan, which, which is amazing. I mean, there's your lifeline right there. But originally, Patrick, there was an equation, a 75-25% rule. Why don't you tell people how that money should be spent. Now I believe it's gone to 60-40, right? It is. And so um, originally with 75-25, 75% had to be spent on uh, direct payroll costs uh, as defined in the, in the law. 25% had to be spent on non-payroll expenses, those being rent and utilities being the primary drivers there. Mm -hmm. uh, now that split is 60-40, so you only have to spend 60% on uh, payroll direct costs, but you also have 24 weeks to spend it in. And then the other 40% still is, has to be spent uh, on uh, both rent or utilities, but it also added any additional cost related to getting your business ready to be uh, safety precautions made with, with all the stuff going on with the virus. So, you know, if you're putting in plexiglass or buying a mask for your team or whatever, those costs would count as well. So not a, those won't be major expenses, but they will help some. Now, but just having 24 yeah, weeks to spend your payroll is going to be enough for a lot of people. I would think so. Let's talk about utilities for a moment. I mean, utilities could be sort of a broad definition. Is that limited to, say, water, sewer, electricity, internet service, that sort of thing? Was trash removal services part of that? Uh, can you clarify? Yeah, um, we take the position that anything for the maintenance of the building, uh, to maintain the building's operation. So I would say trash would count your you know, alarm service, pest control, uh, electricity, wow. obviously gas, sewage. Mm -hmm. They also have some transportation costs in there. So we believe that definition actually includes your, any um, gas spent for deliveries or uh, as well. That's a little bit, that's not as clearly defined. So that's one that's probably a little more um, 
I'd say a little riskier at this point. Okay, but the others are fair game, and I think that broadens very it out than, very than what you think. So, yeah, yeah, the conservative approach is to take the building cost. I mean, you're going to have utilities won't be your major expense. If you think about this now, you've borrowed 10 weeks of payroll. You're going to have 24 weeks to pay that back. If you're back open, that's going to be fairly easy. If you're not back open, you now have six months of rent you can use. I mean, so that's a significant amount of money. Um, you'll have six months of normal utilities. So you should be an easier uh, hurdle to jump jump over at this point. Now, when we're talking about forgiveness, provided you can navigate the forgiveness application, because that's another topic unto itself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that got released about two weeks ago. And, you know, I've got a, you know, <laughs> I got a master's degree in business. I'm an educated person. And I looked at this thing. It was 11 pages long. And it was like, oh, my God, I was like ready to throw it out the window. I'm like, wow, there was so many like, oh, you interesting. know, you know, seeming loopholes. It talked about reduction of hours, reduction of pay. It talked about owner's pay can't be counted here, but it can be counted there. And it's like, it, I just shook my Correct. head and said, where do I begin with this thing? Do you think the new forgiveness application, now that they've sort of changed all the rules, is going to change significantly or get simplified I, in any way? I think the application is going to opt to get updated, obviously, but I don't think yeah. the rules are going to change dramatically. Um, but the test they had, there were three prong tests. It was the hours reduction. Um, it was the overall wages deduction. and But your wages deduction could not include what you're paying owners. That's why the owners had to be separated. Your FTE calcs could not include owners. Those had to be separated. So it is an 11-page application. It is pretty complex. Um, the, the, luck, the nice thing about it now is, though, for the majority of folks, the payroll expense can be fairly straightforward to, to pull that number together. And so we're hoping we don't have to get into too many of the, of the particulars because they really just they'll become obsolete they really won't they won't matter anymore okay we're That's hopeful cool. anyway <laughs> yeah so is there any well every business is different of course you know restaurants from lumber yards Correct. from any any business that received a ppp but what what would your advice be your best advice for a business that really needs to maximize forgiveness because they really can't afford to take on additional debt they applied because it well, seems so simple that this would be forgiven. Okay, I got free money. It could be sixty grand, a hundred grand. Some of these restaurants and, and restaurant companies were getting in the millions of dollars, and that was a controversy unto itself. But what if you really can't afford to take on that debt? How are you going to get this thing maximized? Your forgiveness. Well, I think it starts with making sure that you're still trying to follow the rules as best you can. So stay conservative with where you spend the money. Make sure you're spending the money primarily on payroll expenses, which is what it's designed to do. You know, if you're able to open back up, make sure you're paying your people appropriately. Um, I still think that the, the, the prudent uh, way to approach this is to pay people to physically work in your, in your restaurant or whatever business you are, trying to pay people to not work. Remember, this includes tips they would have been claiming that they had not been claiming before. Remember that bonuses count in this structure. So you may be creative with some of your, what we call your lifeboat employees. Um, with what timing of when you pay those bonuses, but to pay the money on payroll should be a fairly, fairly easy burden to overcome. Once that's done, you know, there's a couple of nice caveats to the law change that just happened. They just turned a two-year loan into a five-year loan. It's still a 1% loan, but you now have five years to pay it back. That's a major change. Um, as well as, you know, it's not, and they also just changed the rules today, or I think it was effective today, which was it, the new rules were gonna be a 60% cliff. So if you did not pay 60% in payroll, it's going to be all or nothing. Now it's not a cliff, 
do the best you can to pay it out as legitimately as you can. If you're struck with a little bit of debt at the end of this thing with a 1% rate, that won't be a terrible, uh, terrible answer. Um, don't spend the money uh, on things that are not forgivable. Then you're going to have a, bit, a lot of debt and still have to pay payroll and everything else anyway. So uh, make sure you're spending it as, a, as it was intended. That's great advice. I mean, as challenging as this process is, it's really that simple. You know, get knowledgeable, mm -hmm. arm yourself with as much information as possible, follow the rules as best you can, and, you know, chances are you'll get more forgiven than uh, if you didn't follow those rules. Now, let's, right. let's uh, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned that there were like 10 to 13 million of these loans already out there. Now, I don't really know how big an organization the SBA is, but it seems to me that, you know, know, how could I they possibly... I may have exaggerated that. It's a lot. Well, <laughs> even if, let's just say that, even if yeah. it was like a million loans they gave out, think about how many people it would take to process this stuff and figure out, did these people follow the rules or didn't they? They're going to be heavily reliant on banks to be sort of the gatekeeper here. But still, like some of this stuff, not everything can obviously pass scrutiny because there's just an overwhelming amount of applications and, and look people looking for forgiveness. Am I right in that? Absolutely. No doubt. I mean, the administrative burden on the banks alone are already hoping that they make this process super simple. The banks have already made their money making the loans. So they're not going to be in a hurry to to process the forgiveness applications. It's not on there. You know, they're going to yeah. get paid either way. Um, I, I, I'm assuming there's a couple talks right now. First, you know, if you have a, a loan more than $2 million, you can expect to have a pretty thorough audit done. If your own loan is below a $2 million, I would expect the process to get forgiven if you follow the just basic application and submit it, you're not going to have too much check behind that. I don't think there's not there's no ability to do that. Um, and there is some um, progress being made now that if you have a lower volume loan and the number that's being thrown around is let's say it's a hundred fifty thousand dollar loan or less, it may not have any. It will just be forgiven and you will have to do nothing. So that is uh, hopefully what ends up happening. And you know that number even to me, I mean, there's a lot. They made a lot of loans less than one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, and so that would help. Obviously, the, the a couple of bigger caveats here is you have some sole proprietors and 1099 independent contractors that definitely are going to have, uh, they've been given no guidance on what it, uh, forgiveness even means for them. But also, you know, a lot of the small businesses really don't have the resources to do these calculations as easily as they possibly could. And so um, I think that, you know, just forgive those loans probably makes the most sense. Well, that's great advice. Uh, you know, we do have quite a few of our audience who are single operation, you know, single restaurants, maybe even two locations, but chances are, you know, their, their, you know, their loan amount is going to be within that range. So, you know, it, it's a good idea that, uh, you know, yep. follow other rules, certainly, but don't sweat it too much is, is your advice. Do the best you can, I think, is yeah. what we keep telling our clients. Just be conservative where you spend the money and do the best you yep. can. And um, hopefully we will you know, come out the end of this thing and every back up, up to where they were. Let's go. Okay, well, let's switch focus and, and talk a little bit more about uh, the EIDL now. That, that stands for Economic Injury Disaster Loan, and that was primarily, uh, well, they, that program's been in existence for a long time, right? That deals with hurricanes and natural disasters and anything that affects, you know, your business and forces you to close and, and that sort of thing. And that's been a lifeline tremendously for a long, long time for businesses. And now here we go. We got the COVID-19 thing, and now they've rolled EIDL out again. Are there still funds available there, Pat? Yeah, yeah, there Matthew, are. Matthew, I'm um, sorry. Now, the new, yeah, it's all right. Everybody called me Patrick. I didn't even notice. Um, <laughs> well, idle, idle at this point, um, they're only taking new applications for 
the farmers uh, out there today, agricultural okay. based. Mm-hmm. However, if you had already applied for your $10,000 advanced grant, that got you into, the, let's say, the pre-application process. And you can still apply for an IDA loan through that. Um, the original loan was supposed to be up to $2 million, but um, we believe the limits now are $150,000 available. Okay. Now, it's still, it's still really good news because, like you said, if you applied for the $10,000 grant, whether you received it or not, you could still, in fact, qualify for the EIDL. And, you know, I, know I, was, I was quite surprised because I, I received a $10,000 grant, and that goes back, oh, I don't know, almost two months ago. And I just got approved for my idol this week and it blew me away. I'm like, wow, you know, it's been pending for a while. I followed up on Very it, you know, well. I kept in touch and, and it suddenly happened. So that's, that's also good news that there's a lot of people out there that could still get that money as well. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, that, that's a normal 30 year mortgage, uh, non, uh, you have no collateral against it. It's still not personally guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a 3.75% interest rate. So it's really good, cheap money. Um, it doesn't have to be used for any specific purpose. It just can't be used for the same things you got PPP buddy for. Um, it does have to be paid back. You have a little deferment. I think it starts six months after you get it. So you have some time to start paying that back. But um, if, it, if you have it, an option, I don't know why you wouldn't take yeah. advantage of it if you need the money for sure. Yeah, I think I read recently when, when I was approved that you're right, it's a 3.75% rate, but I think there's no payments for a full year. Which uh, no, I didn't know in the deferral period. I don't know if it's six months or a year. Yeah, it was actually it was actually a year. Now there's a little confusion. I'm hoping you can clarify because I guess when I originally applied for the idle grant and then I started applying for the PPP, it seemed like, and maybe this has changed since, but it seemed like I read somewhere that if you got the ten thousand dollar grant, even if you use that money for different, um, you know, different expenses than your PPP that money was still going to be deducted from your PPP forgiveness amount. Is that true or is, did that change? That's how we originally thought it was going to be done, but everything we're seeing now is it's going to just be forgiven. So I haven't seen anything further. Um, we were assuming that money is forgiven. It was a grant. It was issued as a grant. PPP loan is forgiveness. So I, I believe that's the case, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, I think that's that's great news then. Um, I'm, I'm tending to believe that. If I only have to pay back $10,000, I'm okay. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to manifest that thought, you know, where you think positive uh, things yeah. have, have a tendency right. to, to go yeah. your way. So that's excellent. Right. Well, this has been this has been super helpful information. Now, I want to let uh, the audience know how they can reach you, because a lot of people may have questions and you've been super helpful to the industry itself. But uh, you're also in a very good position to help people navigate these waters and perhaps help them with their applications, their forgiveness, all that sort of thing. So I know you got two different websites. You've got patrickaccounting.com and then your other business that specializes in payroll is called works.com and that's spelled W-H-I-R-K-S.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Absolutely. Okay. We'd love to help them. Um, We like helping uh, restaurant owners uh, navigate the uncharted waters. Well, I'll tell you, it always helps to have an expert in your corner and uh, gives you a lot of peace of mind. And I know I've got to thank you personally, Matthew, because you've been helping me navigate some of this stuff. So I can certainly speak to your expertise. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to share, you know, your expertise and knowledge with our audience, because you've been super helpful to me and my business. And I know that, uh, you know, you got a great heart and you're helping the industry forward through this difficult Happy time. To. So I appreciate Happy that. To. Well, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being with us today.
Thank you very much. Thanks so much, loyal listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in every week to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. If this episode uh, was valuable to you, please share it and please let others know about the podcast. Obviously, our goal, my goal, is that we help you run a stronger, more profitable business. And we're always seeking out guests that do just that. And this episode is no exception. If you have a PPP or an IDA loan, obviously stay tuned. We're going to have updates on uh, this as we get closer to the end of that period. And uh, reach out to your banker, your lender, if you're still looking for funds, if you have yet to take advantage of these programs, they are the experts. And uh, Matthew Patrick has graciously offered to talk to any of our listeners as well. You can reach him at patrickaccounting.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.